0: Hello, and welcome back to Parallel Passion. If you like this show, please share it with your friends. You can also support us via Patreon. Every like, every retweet, and every dollar helps. Thanks. Today, I'm joined by Catherine Wu, better known as kevu on the internet. She works for Heroku and is a co-host of tech parenting podcast, Parent Driven Development. In the episode, we discuss a lot of topics ranging from making jams and hate reading parenting books, to public speaking and many others in between i also give out a free idea for how to make the best parenting book ever i know you're already curious so let's dive right in hi kei welcome to parallel passion
1: thank you so much for having me
0: why don't we start by you um shortly explaining where like what do you what do you do in your professional life
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I am a Ruby developer at Heroku. I have uh, worked there for a little over a year now, um, and I am one of the remote developers there. I I, uh, am currently based in New Jersey, although most recently, uh, my family, we lived in Portland, Oregon Mm -hmm. um, for several years before that, and we moved back to New Jersey to be closer to family.
0: Yeah, that's that's good. Um, I I've only been to to Portland from from US, and I really liked it there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I know you you worked in New Relic, so and I visited New Relic yeah. offices, which are really nice.
1: Oh yeah, I uh, when I was living in Portland, uh, I uh, actually I think it's probably still available. I, I wrote a like my personal guide to Portland. It's at Bitly slash kwu pdx guide i think it's just a google (laughs) doc um and because i was trying to encourage friends and family to come visit us out there uh with some with some with some success uh but yeah i always noted while i was still working at new relic that uh if they were coming by uh to visit that like they're great views from that office there and it's just they did a really nice job designing everything
0: yeah, and is it in the the highest building in Portland or like 'cause my impression from Portland is that pretty much everything is like low level buildings. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. But there yeah, are like yeah, three yeah.
0: or four that are super high and yeah. New Relic yeah, was yeah, in yeah, one yeah, of yeah. those.
1: Yeah, I think so because uh the restaurant that's a couple floors above the New Relic office is like one of the pricier restaurants around and it's like because of the view that you can get from there mm-hmm. um but i feel like they've been doing a lot of construction the last few years uh putting up new apartment buildings and such to just like get more housing for all the people that are moving there uh since it's since it has been getting pretty popular in the last uh five or ten years i would say
0: yeah it's been exactly five years since i've been there so i imagine much have changed
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I
0: I liked it a lot because it was very green city. Very uh, even though I haven't been to much of America, mm-hmm. I I think it's um very un-American.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I I feel like that is something that uh, people get surprised by because you know, like you often hear like oh there's so much rain, um, but I know when I visited for the first time I realized like oh well, like with that much rain there's actually a lot of greenery as well. Um, and there's lots of open spaces and that's really nice i miss it there
0: funny thing about this is i was there for three weeks and it didn't rain one day yeah it was sunny every day and i was like are you just telling this to to other people so that they don't come to portland yeah
1: Yeah. well now that i don't live there anymore i do also kind of have a theory that um the pacific northwest the the reputation for bad weather anyway is blown up a little bit to try to (laughs) prevent people from wanting to... Even more people from wanting to move there.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that's it.
1: It's like the opposite of San Francisco. Like Everyone thinks uh, San Francisco's weather is going to be a lot nicer than it actually is once you're there.
0: Yeah, I... I don't know why everyone wants to go to San Francisco. I mean, this is probably a debate for other time, but like, yeah. I don't get... I, I don't understand. Like, why would you go there? It's so expensive there. It it's really is. Yeah. Everything. It's, I don't know.
1: Yeah, totally. I'm with you. I mean, I, I, I like visiting. I know lots of people there. And, you know, if you have the money, you can have a really great lifestyle. Um, But you do have to have a lot of money.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I don't even know how to do a, a good segue into into f- uh, first one of your hobbies oh, so sure. i'll just say may, is it is it because of the the artisanal nature of portland that you got into uh, <laughs> making jam and, and pickles and canning and all that yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah that's really not a bad segue at all i would say <laughs> um because it, it's almost a chicken and egg problem right like did i get into these hobbies because of portland or did we move to portland because uh you know i'm into that kind of thing uh so actually the answer is that um i was always into like like a lot of things you would stereotypically associate with portland um like uh, I, I i did like a farm csa community supported agriculture farm share for years uh and uh that's actually how I got introduced to making jam. We went one time to one of the farms that was supporting this. Uh, sorry, I'm, I actually should ask: like, is this something that you're familiar with? I'm not sure if this is commonly known.
0: Familiar with with what?
1: What a CSA or a farm share is? Um,
0: no, I, I mean, that. Um, I, I know roughly what it is, but like, please explain. I'm, I'm sure, yeah, sure. majority of yeah. listeners don't know.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I figure that's probably good background. Um, so. Uh, it's, it's basically like an alternative to going to farmers markets during the, the growing season during the year the idea is that you uh, sort of join uh, a local farms share of um, customers ahead of time and you you pay one lump sum at the uh, beginning of the year kind of when they're uh, when they're needing to invest and update all their equipment and uh you know, giving them money at the time when they most need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get a weekly box of fruits and vegetables throughout the rest of the growing season so that if they have a bad year, you know, you already supported them when they most needed it. And then if they have a really good year, then you reap the benefits of that throughout the rest of the summer.
0: Right. So you, you basically um, sort of insured them in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's a way to to get to know like one particular uh farming family a lot of times there there are a lot of folks involved and um, they often send out newsletters or have blogs where they let you know what's going on.
0: Farmers with newsletters. That's, that's... I know, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um but I mean, you know, you're like, oh, this is like definitely really local and definitely in season for mm-hmm. the area that we live in. Um because sometimes even you know if you go to the farmer's market, uh, it, it isn't necessarily all local, depending on the market that you're going to. Um, for me, the other big benefit is I kind of really like this format where someone else makes a bunch of the decisions for me ahead of time, and then I have to exercise some creativity in planning and organization um, because I've already been constrained a little bit. So what I mean by that is if I shop for food for the week at the farmer's market I'll probably just buy the same three or four things over and over again whereas when I would get this farm share we'd get a box and I'd be like well okay I like have five radishes like a zucchini and a tomato like what what should I supplement with to have meals for this week um what what would be good that I haven't tried before and it uh the those boxes always introduced me to all sorts of interesting produce and things like that
0: Mm -hmm. and when when you got too much of pickles then you just decide oh i'm gonna can those
1: (laughs) yeah yeah well so so the the i i would always have a lot of uh uh like i would you know there there would always be kind of a little bit more food waste than i would want to so my first solution to that was uh having a worm composting bin um, in our apartment, actually. So mm. that was mostly like, cause we didn't, the place we were living at the time did not have composting. Um, unlike in Portland where composting everywhere like now that i we moved from portland we don't have composting anymore i'm like oh, i feel a little uncomfortable like throwing this food into the trash <laughs>
0: is, is portland <laughs> the only city in in u.s that has composting i, I don't i i didn't know that was a thing
1: <laughs> yeah 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 uh, it's very very prevalent in portland and i've seen it in other cities uh like Sa- san francisco almost definitely has it i think uh it varies a little bit uh based on like how much you have to like whether the local governments pay for it or if if you as a homeowner have to pay for it and mm-hmm. kind of how easy it is to do i think so um so so, so yeah we have this had this like one of those worm towers um and i would just put the all the vegetable scraps in there and like actually at the time i didn't even really have a garden i just would like make all this compost that is really valuable to gardeners but i had nowhere to put it <laughs> really
0: so what did you do with this
1: I think eventually, like, I I gave some to my parents and just, like, was like, well, at least it's, like, broken down better because, you know, <laughs> even if you have compostable things, if you throw them in the regular trash in the landfill, like, they generally won't really break down very well. So, um, the, the bigger end to that project, though, is, like, my husband hated having the worms there in our house. He was really grossed out by it.
0: I can imagine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. He would have to take care of them for a few days when I would leave on work trips. And I swear, like as soon as I left, it would like, normally those worms, you get special kinds of worms that prefer the dark. So they're not going to leave the container. Like they like the moist environment and the dark, um, that somehow they would know, like, as soon as I left, they would, like, start trying to escape. And he would, like, I would come back and, and somewhat have to rescue the community from, like... It's, like, not that hard to keep them alive, but he was not into it. So, yeah, that that, that particular project did not work out great. Right. Um, so it, it, it turned out better then, because through the... Through the farm share I was doing, they um, they often have like a couple days throughout the summer or in the fall when they invite the shareholders to come visit. You can camp in their fields, you know, take a tour, and often there's like a picnic. And then we went to one one year where they did a jam making demonstration. And at the time I was like, Oh, uh, they made some peach jam. I remember it. I was like, Oh, this is like, is like kind of cool and interesting. And they gave us jars to take home later. Mm -hmm. Um, and then a couple months later that fall, when I opened that jar of peach jam, um, you know, it's like cold and rainy in November in New Jersey at the time or something like that. It just like, was not very nice outside. I opened this jar of peach jam and took one scoop and was like, Oh this was like summer in a jar. <laughs> the flavor was so good. Uh, peach jam is still my favorite. Uh, um, but from there, I started making a whole bunch of different things. I like would go pretty crazy some years and make tons of stuff that I would just end up having to give away at the holidays like just to clear out storage space. Because sometimes, <laughs> for me, it was almost like more fun to make the things um, than necessarily eat them. I would often try recipes where uh, like, I was like, I don't even know if I like the end result, but I really enjoy the process of making it. It's like really satisfying when the jar seals um, and it ends up being pretty useful as gifts because people tend to be really impressed, even though it's not not complex, it's not difficult. Um, It's just a bit time consuming yeah
0: yeah it's still a thing that you don't do and i can imagine it can be a very nice gift like anything homemade is always a a good gift
1: yeah yeah i would uh uh, i got to a point where i would uh like I'm, i'm just sort of really type a and like to be really organized about things so i would um make a list of everyone i was planning on giving some gifts to and then i would honestly just like I emailed them a Google form and my spreadsheet that was my inventory of everything that I had made in the past year. And I was like, Hey, if you're interested, like let me know what your top three choices of flavors <laughs> and items are so I can match you up better. I didn't I didn't want to like give someone a jar and then just like have it sit in their pantry for the rest of the year, right? Like and it's hard to predict what people like. So
0: You should uh, make an app for that. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> uh there were like a couple people that were offended by this, oh, I guess. Because like they In what way? Yeah, they didn't really want to have as much I don't know, they they thought it was like not as thoughtful to uh just like ask people what they wanted for a gift. Um, oh. but I was like, no, it's not as efficient and like I want to try to be more efficient around this.
0: Some people will be just offended by anything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <sighs> it's true. Yeah. It's fine. Then you just won't get jam next year. <laughs> That's what happens.
0: Yeah, or maybe you can give them pickles. Just
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: do you do this like often, or like when fruit is in season? And like, if mm. you do, you do you buy fruit for this, or is it just what you get from from this farm?
1: Yeah, good questions. Um, so, well, I guess I, I should maybe have given a general caveat. All these hobbies I'm talking about uh, have been on somewhat of a hiatus in the. Uh, last uh, year. Coincidentally, uh, I had a baby in the last year. So, you know, you can maybe draw your own conclusions. Um, But hopefully I'll get back into this. Uh, So I think what's one of the interesting things to me about canning and making jams and pickles is, uh, of course, it's something that was like very common and uh, done for survival back in the day and and not just as a hobby, right. Because of wanting to uh, be able to survive the winter. And, and uh, the whole point is to make things shelf stable so that you don't need, uh, you know, you, you don't have to keep everything in the fridge or, you know, for for times before refrigerators were invented,
0: yeah, before fridges existed, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, and so before I got into the, this particular hobby, I'd always had the idea of like, oh, well, you know, it's a way to like use up leftover scraps and and things like that, uh, and that's definitely like a, a, a one of the avenues you can go, especially with say like fruit where. Um, you know, you you cut away the parts that are not as pretty or they've been a little bit bruised or damaged and then you can use the rest of it like uh, when you're making applesauce or something like that and you're picking fruit. Um, uh, so you're going to really kind of, you know, use this uh, like leftovers or, or kind of assemble things together that way. Um, but, you know, as, as I got into it more and, and thought about it a little bit more, it's like a lot of other hobbies where if you are willing to put in like, really good ingredients up front then the results are also going to be uh improved on the other end of things. Yeah, sure. Um yeah, so so when I got started, you know, there was a lot of kind of uh using things that were leftover uh especially for pickles. So um I don't know if you've seen the uh you can pickle that skit on Portlandia show, but it's true. You can like pickle pretty much anything. <laughs> it's true. Um with jams, it's a little trickier because of wanting to match up uh, like the amount of sugar. Um, and, you know, you're like the, uh, with a lot of things in, in making uh, it uh, shelf stable with canning. Um, you, you know, kind of there, there are some a few things to pay attention to about the acid levels that you have in there to help with uh, preservation and also prevent bacteria from growing in there. Um uh, oh, your question was about like, where I source my ingredients. Okay, so so I, what I meant to say was, uh, uh, there's like a, like, I, I would start with kind of leftover things as I was learning and, and, and experimenting. And then um, there would, there was a couple summers in the last few years where I got really into it and then would go ahead and buy larger flats of fruit or whatever else it may be. Um so, like one year, I bought like an eighteen pound box of cherries. Uh, <laughs> that's a lot of cherries. yeah that's a lot of cherries, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like pitting them for for so long. i like I feel like I watched the whole season of some whatever t v show I was watching at the time, just like getting through all those cherries
0: uh yeah for 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 this amount it it'd probably be wise to buy a deep pickler,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like caught between, uh, you know, not wanting a kitchen storage at the time was pretty small and not wanting to buy something that only does one thing. But on the other hand, if I need one thing done really well, and <laughs> a lot of it, it would have been helpful, right?
0: Yeah.
1: So I've done that. I, I, I've, I've also bought like 20 pound boxes of peaches at a time, or like you can go places and pick them. Um, one year we went, apple picking as like a fun event with a bunch of friends and um they all said they were interested in getting applesauce so we picked a lot of apples uh and then it turns out when we went to go check out at the end everyone else just was like oh i'll just get like four or five apples like that's enough for me and i went home and told my husband like uh i like kind of accidentally bought 65 dollars worth of apples to (laughs) make applesauce (laughs) this year uh we didn't even have yeah space to store so much stuff uh it's it's one of the contradictions for canning i feel so you know you want to do it when the produce is at its peak uh, in the season yeah
0: for the sugar levels right
1: yeah yeah exactly uh and the flavor is so good uh but at the same time it Uh, I I do water bath canning, so I I don't use a pressure cooker. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's, I'm boiling water for like, you know, at least 10 to 15, sometimes an hour if I'm doing tomatoes or something like that. So the kitchen gets really hot and steamy and this is in the middle of the summer or, you know, it's like the hottest times of the year. So I came up with some tricks to try to uh, minimize the amount of time a little bit, like using an induction burner, Um, but yeah, it's like really uncomfortable sometimes, (laughs) but I keep doing it anyway, because I don't know, something in there is rewarding for me, I guess. Uh, Oh, another fun Portland thing. Like while I was in Portland, there was a farm share that I ended up joining that was specifically focused on giving you bulk boxes for canning purposes. So rather than (laughs) like a weekly share throughout the summer, this was a canning specific csa and when i discovered it i was just like oh my god i love living in portland it's amazing
0: (laughs) yeah the the more i hear about portland the more i'm convinced that portlandia is is not a humor show but just like a documentary
1: exactly (laughs) (laughs) It's, (laughs) it's so true it's so true yeah,
0: yeah, totally. Anyway, all yeah. this talk is making me hungry. So <laughs> let's switch to, to the topic you mentioned before of you becoming parent accidentally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh w- what you said about the things that you like to do is that you like uh, hate reading parenting books. <laughs>
1: parenting books so please explain because <laughs> yeah. i want to know <laughs>
0: i want to know all about this
1: <laughs> yeah 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 for sure um so the thing is like i have a personality type where if i want to learn about a new topic or something i mostly do it through reading um like I, one of my majors in college was psychology. And the reason for that is, you know, kind of as a slightly awkward introverted nerd, I was like, I don't understand people. Like, how <laughs> will I learn about this? <laughs> Not by talking to them. Let's no, go read no, some books yeah. and take a <laughs> class on it instead. You know, that's kind of how I treat a lot of these things. Uh And so for parenting, you know, there's like a lot of folks that will sort of like, oh, like, you just got to like really listen to your gut and follow your intuition. And I'm just like, but what if my intuition is wrong? Or if I don't have any intuition? Like, what if I just lacked instincts? So I got to starting to read some of them. Yeah.
0: It's like my mom giving me recipes and saying, oh, you <laughs> just like sugar by taste or, or sugar yeah, just by just feeling. By feel. I, yeah. I I don't know. I don't have a feeling. Like, just right. give me, ing- like, tell me specifically how much.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think some folks, they are. Like I think some a lot of people they're either more comfortable with ambiguity or variance in the results or they're they're maybe just discounting the effect of their experience over time that leads them to developing an intuition of, of some kind and then they don't necessarily think back to articulating like why they do what they do
0: mm-hmm. whereas
1: for me like if I can't explain the reasoning or logic behind some decision or choice, then I feel really uncomfortable and I don't feel as confident in making that choice. If I can't explain what it was about or where it came from. Um, So that's just kind of like how I go about things, I think. Um, So, so yeah, I mean, in general, there are a lot of parenting books out there, right? It's like a pretty huge industry uh it's a like this really captive audience uh when you know when when you haven't been sleeping very much I think you're also very vulnerable (laughs) to (laughs) you know like anyone who says they might have the answer um so you know I I just like got some recommendations for folks and and some of the stuff like has been really useful there are some books that I think are quite good but by and large I feel like I discovered a genre that is somehow even worse than business books <laughs> in terms of like, there are not that many ideas, but there are a lot of words and pages talking oh, about what's going the on worst. in
0: here. That's, yeah. I, I hate those kind of books that like, you know, that the gist is, it could be put in like five pages, but exactly they have to build like the whole book around it. And then you just yeah. read and read and read the same thing again yeah. and again and again. It's just like, can you delete it down to like one yeah. page, please?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, that's exactly how I feel. And, uh, they just, and I, I guess, like, I always, in some ways, it's because um, I'm maybe a little bit of, a, of an optimist inside where I'm like, well, maybe if I keep reading, like, there'll be something at the end that will, like, <laughs> make this all worth it, right? Like, maybe there'll be something, like, some some small gem that if I just, like, keep putting in the time and I get to it, uh, you know, I'll be able to find it then, so. And
0: then you're like, oh, I already read, like, three quarters. I have to finish
1: it. Yes, Yes. Yes. Uh, so I, I mean, and this, like, I honestly do think this is something I need to improve on when like time is getting more limited. I need to be able to just accept some costs and let them go. Um, but there's often a a point where it flips and I'm like, well, I am like three quarters of the way done. And like, I feel like this is not very useful, even though a lot of other people like say it's so amazing, but like in order to, feel confident that i can say this was not very good i feel like i need to finish it then i can like really say no there's like nothing good in here and you can't just (laughs) say there was something good in the last one quarter i read all of it it's bad (laughs)
0: so you can be confident about your opinions
1: yes yes like I'm, i'm very attached to um you know feeling confidence in my strong opinion uh and in some ways hopefully it's helpful that if I have a strong negative opinion, I feel like I should have more evidence for that than like, if I have a really uh, good opinion of something or, or another. Um, so, you know, and, and it, it has gotten to a point a little bit, cause uh, I, I review all the books I read on Goodreads, and then I sync that to my Facebook feed. And so uh, I, I do have a lot of friends that are sort of just like, it's really great because, like, you read all these books that I feel like I should be reading for a parent, and then you just tell me what the like two or three ideas that are important in there are, and then just skip the rest. So,
0: yeah, I feel like there should be an audience for this. Yeah. Like, you should write a book about this. Is a short book about parenting all yeah. that you need to know. Yeah. Here are like five things diluted down.
1: <laughs> so uh, it's funny you mention that because my husband and I we do have a semi-serious joke like we'll see someday that um we should do a project and I I I kind of want to write a book that's called uh uh (laughs) uh, the engineer's guide to maternity or pregnancy or childrearing or parenting or whatever that may be where like Okay, I'm just going to like TLDR everything out there for you. I'm not going to make <laughs> judgment calls one way or the other, but we're going to be like very evidence-based and very succinct about what the current like array of options might be out there for you, you know? And, yeah,
0: you wrote the blog post on that topic, right?
1: Yeah, I did it for uh pregnancy prep at least because oh my god, this drove me nuts that like the information is so bad.
0: Yeah, I saw a link to Schnims's post yeah. about like um, programmer's guide to parenting or something yeah. like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, his was great because it was from a perspective of uh, if you're the partner of someone who is pregnant, kind of things you can do to support them throughout. Um, and I think recently he had a follow up post of um, like, his recommendations on baby gear and things you might register for. Um, and this is something I also want to write because like, there's, there are so many things that are like, I just feel like I wish people would be more clear about um, this is the value add from this thing that you might get. And like, you know, the, the, the whole point of uh, you know, some, some object or whatever is like to make your life easier in this one particular way. And so like, you can decide, you know, whether that's worth it to you. Like that is a personal choice and based on your own values. But like, let's just kind of strip away a lot of the marketing and just straight up say like, this is a thing that you may only need like a few times in the first few months, but when you really need it, it is really helpful for that one, one use case or whatever. Um, so that's really nice. Yeah.
0: I I, like from what you describe, it definitely sounds like there is a place for, um, book on parenting, like rework is book on business, just like short to the point, like big, big letters, big typography, some pictures, like short book that you can read in an afternoon.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing too, with all of these parenting books that I don't understand, which is like, you know, the audience is really Sleep deprived and busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why, why do you have to have so many extra pages? Like, I feel like I would pay more for something shorter.
0: <laughs> yeah. Give them short sentences, big letters.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm so tired. I'm too tired <laughs> for this. The, uh, the, the, what got me started on one of these grants is that there's a, there's a book on sleep that a lot of pediatricians really recommend. Um, it's the book that's by Dr. Ferber. Uh, and it's like, I think the title is something like "Solve Your Child's Sleep Problems," um, and then as I was reading it, like the science that's in there is the the chapter on the the what we know about sleep as um, and the sleep uh, phases and things all like that's like really good from an educational perspective. But the troubleshooting and problem solving part, I was kind of just like, I don't understand. Why they decided to put this all in one book of like both from newborn first three months to toddlers all the way up to teenagers Hmm. like problems in here as well. Because I'm just like, I like just want to figure out what I can do to help my eight week old sleep better. Like I do not I cannot worry about what a teenager level C problems because like i'm not confident we're gonna make it there right now okay (laughs) i just need to get through the next week (laughs) and i also just felt like from a marketing perspective like if if they broke up the same exact content and just like made a series of much shorter books whereas like solve your baby's sleep problems, solve your toddler's sleep problems, like, and kind of made it more niche in a way with each of them, then like, yeah. Like, I feel like you could make a lot more money that way. I
0: just had an idea. You know, these tiny books that are for toddlers, like really short, just like pictures and and all that. Yeah. So what if from one side, it's from toddlers, but if you read it from other side, it's just like instruction manual for parents. (laughs) Yeah. With like (laughs) short sentences and just, yeah. That, that would work because then it, it, yeah. it, it can be short because I like I understand publishers don't want to put like really really short books because it looks like oh uh, this isn't worth my money
1: right but right.
0: if you if you package it in that way I, that could work yeah
1: yeah, yeah totally um, that reminds me a little bit there's a Kickstarter that I just backed for um, there is uh, I, th- I think he's Asian American. I mean, his his family heritage is Chinese anyway. There's this there's this guy. I think he and his family are living in London now. Mm-hmm. Um, who's been doing really funny cartoons about um, his family, like raising their toddlers, starting since we was a baby. And he uh, just put up a Kickstarter for um, a, an illustrated book that he's going to do with the comics that he's been making um, and the idea is it's going to be a choose your own adventure but for parenting huh. where i think he's going to do all these funny comics about like as you go through all the many dis- different decisions that you make and like how oftentimes you make choices and they're probably going to blow up in your face at some point like you're probably going to be wrong for most of it <laughs> i feel like that's probably true so i'm excited to, to see what that turns out to be like
0: yeah um i i obviously don't follow the topic closely enough so i, I wouldn't know <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it is funny I, f- I feel like that's another aspect with the the parenting books like and p- parenting blogs and just all the media that's out there like it's it's this whole world and if you're um I don't know, like any other section of the internet that you can go in pretty deep and uh, it can get a little scary.
0: Yeah, and it's probably also a lot of um, advice that people just read on the internet somewhere and are propagating (laughs) that as science, like all the, I don't know, anti-vaxxers, for for example. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Which
0: Uh, or like even better example is um, sort of not related, but like the earth is flat phenomenon, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm, I'm 100% mm -hmm. sure started as a joke but then oh, somehow yeah. some people took it seriously Right. and now it's yeah. like there're yeah. seriously people who believe the earth is flat which i i find like uh, yeah it's just i'm lost for words it's
1: yeah. Insane. yeah yeah
0: yeah 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 and can you imagine that it, there's the same thing in, in like parenting blogs online
1: oh yeah oh yeah i mean i see it a lot so like i'm i'm really like i've spent a lot of time Uh, reading and learning about breastfeeding as you know as one particular if we're gonna pick a hot topic (laughs) (laughs) uh, for parenting on, on one side and um my point about that is that it's it's like it's hard to find uh yeah like dispassionate information that is useful to you because um like a lot of the times people who have really good information that would help you if you're struggling with breastfeeding as, as we were in the early months, um, those people they're putting information out there because they feel really strongly about the topic. And so it often then gets mixed up as well with things that for me, cross the line a little bit in terms of like, "Eh, is this like really all that evidence-based or Mm -hmm. like, does that actually make sense? Uh, You know, you can kind of, be really interested in like want, you know, and and think that breastfeeding is, is really great, but then you can like go overboard with that as well. Um, And it's tricky, I think to like, I I feel like that's one of the um, skills to develop as I consume a lot of this media is trying to sift through what makes sense to me and like just kind of seems logical or likely um, without necessarily, you know, reading all of the papers written behind them as well because i also think at the same time it's like there is a lot of information related to parenting and children development and all that that like we don't necessarily and we may never be able to ethically have a rigorous scientific studies that will give us answers one way or the other yeah, there's yeah. so much it's variety to do in people. yeah like we're never going to really know and there is a lot of value in like so called folk wisdom, or you know, things that your grandparents knew that uh, were just obvious to them. That we, we, so like, just because you can't prove it with a scientific study doesn't mean it can be dismissed entirely, but. Walking that line is really hard, I think.
0: Yeah, also, on the topic of grandparents, I mean, times have changed a lot. Like, back then, there were, like, huge families with a lot of children, and mm-hmm. um, this this will sound probably rough, but, like, if if some of, if, like, one of them had problems, like, that was fine. There were still, like, ten others or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um but like nowadays yeah. in, in this modern families where you have like one or two maybe three children like it's it's yeah. very different right the the attitude yeah. to yeah. parenting is like very different because you are putting yeah. your stakes in like less uh yeah. baskets yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. um i i did read something recently so i'm also kind of like into the uh, uh feel free to ask me more if you're interested but like there are certain ideas around like free range parenting and, you know, having, giving your kids a lot of independence and freedom along these lines. And I was reading something that talked about how, um, like, and this happens with a lot of media where uh, a lot of times it feels like the world is like a scarier, more dangerous place. But, uh, the, st- the, what the statistics indicate is that there's like never been a better time to be a child, um, in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least, you know, kind of um, uh, where where I'm living. Um, uh, in terms of you know your likelihood to reach adulthood um, healthy and uh, you know all in one piece and whatnot, right?
0: Oh yeah, but but I believe that's globally. Like it, it's the living conditions have improved globally yeah. pretty much everywhere. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, and yet people are like sincerely feel a lot of fear and anxiety. And one of my theories around this is that like, well, you know, back in the day, it, it, it you know, if, if there were there are a lot of childhood diseases um, and other accidents and things that would happen. Um, but in some cases it's like, it's not worth worrying about uh you know, your, your child dying from polio tuberculosis or anything like that, kind of when there wasn't anything you could really do about it. Whereas in the modern era, I feel like what's different is, um, we think that like of, even though there are fewer in general negative outcomes for our children, it feels like more of those negative outcomes are things that we are capable of, of preventing in some way. Um, and so we put enormous amounts of effort into childproofing everything ever, whether or not it's worthwhile or a good idea, uh, because we're, you know, we, we, we somewhat have a sense that like, if we don't do this, then, uh, and something bad does end up happening, like, you know, kind of the, the amount of guilt and responsibility felt would be that much higher, like, a. Uh, I was talking to someone who's, who's saying, like, uh, you know, in their family, they, they're struggling with, like, giving their uh, 9 or 10-year-old something more independence for walking home from the school bus stop. And he was saying, like, they can see the bus stop, like, from their house. It's not very far. <laughs> right? And yet, like, right now, they're, they're not comfortable having uh, the kid do that walk by themselves. Like, they want someone to meet them at the stop and kind of have adult supervision the whole time you
0: know i don't uh, think this is healthy because mm-hmm. th- this way you have this i think it's called like helicopter parenting or whatever
1: yeah yeah
0: um like you e- the child has no experience in real world. And once it hits them, like it will be very confusing. And I don't, I don't think that's a good thing. Like um, you should give more responsibilities to to children, not less. I mean, that's easy for me to say. I'm not a parent. I don't know how I would act in in that uh, scenario, but like right now, I definitely think like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think most people, like when you can talk to them um, about it kind of in theory, like, totally on board with that and like my husband and I we have a lot of conversations about like like yes we want to kind of encourage the right amount of independence and freedom like mm-hmm. that's age appropriate and also like based on the kid because all the all you know different kids are ready at different ages for whatever different level of experience um but even so I think one of the interesting things for me about becoming a parent is uh just like the emotional side of things because. Yeah, you know, in general I, I think of myself anyway as a very logical, rational sort of person. Yeah, you're um, a developer so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> my friends and family will sometimes be like, "Do you do you really like need to be so robotic about everything?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Isn't that a good thing? Like isn't that to try to be more like a computer and <laughs> be logical and organized um, not not to everyone apparently yeah. but uh, but but the the emotional side of thing is like really strong and I I, I feel like I'm I both like I feel the things and I also observe myself feeling the strong emotions about things and like biology is really strong like we are so well designed to, to want to do everything we can to you know, preserve this particular set of our genes and pass it along for continuing generations. So that uh, I had a friend of mine, her mom described it as having a children, having a child is like you took your heart outside of your body and it's just walking around outside of you. Uh, And I feel like that's actually a really good description to me that like there is just this being that's so important to me
0: do you feel this was always the case or is this like i mentioned previously in 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 these times because there are so like the families are smaller and uh, there are less there are fewer children
1: yeah it's a good question yeah
0: like do, do you think there was also the case when they had like i don't know ten, 10 9 kids
1: yeah so i i don't know um enough history uh like i haven't studied it enough to to really have strong evidence about this but i do remember coming across something once where someone uh found it's, it was like a diary entry or something else that was written down about uh, like a Victorian era family that lost one of their children, um, mm-hmm. uh, like a toddler to disease or something. And the anguish that's described there, like, I think that that there is definitely like there's pretty universal aspect to that, uh, regardless of what era or how many children that we have because of of that, like deep, deep connection that you would feel each time. Um, I think it's possible that what's, what's different is that in some ways, um, because we're generally more materially comfortable in the modern era, it's almost like we have more space for that grieving perhaps, or, or worrying about that. I yeah. feel like I need to choose my words a little carefully about this here
0: yeah yeah we we are threading weird waters now (laughs) yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah um but you know kind of like if you are living at subsistence level uh you know you 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 can feel that but also like if you are battling starvation or famine at the same time like yeah that's also pretty pressing, um, in terms of what's occupying your mind and your time.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I'd I'd love to continue conversation here, but I I also want to speak about something else. Um, um, you do a lot of public speaking, which is how I I got to know you. Um, actually just, uh, today I was, I was, uh, trying to find the email you sent me and I found that I sent you an email like, uh, four or five years ago when you were at our camp
1: because really? yeah
0: i asked you to send me stickers for my uh, ruby user group
1: oh my goodness that was you that was me <laughs> yes yes uh um, and like, did it, was it did i succeed because i i, yeah, I yeah, have i tried to send stickers and there was there was one person i talked to once after a conference and like it totally got lost in the mail and i felt horrible about it
0: afterwards. no 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 we we got them i i think I should oh, have a few. So.
1: <laughs> oh that's so great but good job, pass me like when I had more time and effort.
0: <laughs> but, um, related to that, um, you do or I guess did a lot of yes, public yes. speaking. Oh, I
1: want to submit to the Ruby C- Ruby Comp CFP, so like maybe I'll get back into it. But mm. yeah, I, I, I have in the past few years done a lot of conference speaking.
0: I don't know for people not familiar w- with you or whatever that are listening to this. Um, I like my favorite talk of yours, which I guess you. Is like the the uh, ask versus guess culture, right? And, <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess you also yeah. have this uh, talk inside other talks, like the the be a mm-hmm. better developer one is sort of mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. overview on that as well. Mm-hmm. So could you do like a quick rundown for someone who is not familiar with with that? Because I think it's a it's a mm. very very good uh, concept that not a lot of people are aware of.
1: Yeah, 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 uh, for sure. Um, I've, I've given that talk a few times and you know, there are the recordings out there, uh, both short and longer versions if people are interested. Um, but I love getting more opinions, uh, and and kind of getting the word out about this idea. So happy to talk about it as well. So, um, I think what you're referring to is this idea of ask versus guess cultures. Um, and the way that I like to describe it is that, uh, it's, it's sort of two, Uh, frames for communication that, for me at least, until it was pointed out to me, I never really understood this particular difference. So the way I've seen it uh, often described and how I mentioned in my talks is that um, ask culture is often where you the the family that you grew up in the the country you know they're, they're however it may be or or sometimes it's also personality wise. Um, you grow up thinking with the assumption like it's okay to ask for anything or ask any questions of any other people, um, because the other side of it is that it's totally okay for people to just say no if they're not interested. Yeah. Um, guest culture on the other hand. Uh, basically really wants to avoid putting people in the position of having to say no. Um, you, you, th- there's kind of like a lot more implicit communication there where you can try to sort of scope out what the response might be. Um, if you, you, you kind of, kind of try to avoid asking direct questions because that can end up feeling like you're imposing on some people that you're like, it can, it can, you're worried about uh pressuring other people on that particular front. Um, and so, you know, if someone does ask a question, then it's like really like, it's a really big deal at that point in time mm-hmm. um and people kind of are are also a little more reluctant to then just say like oh no i don't you know kind of not interested in uh whatever the a proposition might be
0: yeah and I, I found this very interesting because i never thought about it in like in in a cultural way because mm-hmm. i know there are people that just like ask questions and s- sometimes i feel like oh, can i just say no will i like, just yeah. offend them or whatever <laughs> yeah but yeah. um and uh, going in with this concept in mind it's easier to respond to questions i guess not mm-hmm. not so much that i changed anything about myself but mm-hmm. um, understanding the other person i guess is is easier mm-hmm. if you know that there are basically two camps of this
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so, so would you characterize yourself as a little bit more on the guest culture end of the spectrum
0: yeah i think um like you said country-wise i think it's also culturally wise in this Part so i would mm-hmm, say that mm-hmm. uh, like this might be completely wrong but my um uh sort of impression is that most of europe is in a uh, gas culture mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but i don't know you've you've traveled a lot around the world what what do you think
1: yeah um there are i think like there's definite strains kind of like country and you know uh based and uh, cultures around those things uh when i would give this talk in europe uh i I basically was like okay well on the one hand i don't want to like do too much kind of just like stereotyping or Mm -hmm. broad strokes on the other like cultures are a real thing yeah and like i would talk to give this talk to a certain audience and i would just sort of be like all right like it's just different right like when you're working with someone who is british versus someone who is german right like we've, we've, we probably experienced that a lot. Yeah. Um, daily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I think I, one of the, the talks, someone introduced me to a Twitter feed that was like things that British people say or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah yeah, yeah, it, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like pretty hilarious to me of like, oh yeah, there's like kind of the, literal meaning of the words is like not what the intent for what was trying to be communicated at all
0: usually it's the exact opposite of the literal meaning (laughs) Yeah. yeah
1: yeah 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 so like for me learning about this concept was really helpful because i did not understand the extent to which i was assuming that if people didn't want to do something they would feel comfortable just saying no like, I mean, there's also an aspect to it where I'm a pretty literal person. And I'm just sort of like, well, that was like, like, those were not the words that they used. But why are they, you know, unhappy or offended by one thing or another. And uh, this concept, like, kind of helped me step back and like, look at it for through a different lens, and not just assume that the way that I feel or I respond to something is the same that way that other people might feel about it as well
0: so how did you discover these concepts is it something that's like well known and established and you just um basically retold it in your own words or is it something that i don't know you sort of arrived at
1: oh god no i I definitely did not invent this uh the source of discussion about it on the internet anyway that i can tell is that it's there's like a meta filter thread from maybe 2007 or so that is the uh where i first saw this formulated as ask versus guest culture Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of other descriptions about this particular um pivot point that, that you can kind of look at communication about um i've also heard you know like explicit versus implicit communication um and uh there's been a bunch of other things like kind of like Around this general idea, um, but for my introduction, I'm pretty sure it was my husband that introduced it to me. Overall, and once he, it was one of those things for me. Like once he mentioned it, I felt like I started seeing it everywhere. Uh, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> in my experience. Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, when I started giving conference talks, I actually originally gave this talk as just a short lightning talk at a work offsite. Um, and it sparked like a lot of really great conversation and I was encouraged to develop it into a, a longer form talk. So I started putting it in some other talks I gave and then I eventually made a full length version of, of everything just about this and like how it applies to workplaces in particular. Um, But it's funny because people will have come up to me after I've delivered the talk and said like, oh, I'm going to like make everyone on my team watch this so that we can like help address some of the challenges (laughs) we might face. So there's that, which seems really helpful. But I've also had responses sometimes where people came up and were like, I was watching this talk in the audience with my partner sitting next to me and it was like going to couples therapy. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm just like, if it's, if it's helpful for people to have something like this described in this particular way, then, um, I think that that, like, that makes me feel so good if it, if it's like actually practically useful, um, Cause I think another nice thing about the the framing of it is that it's like trying to draw it away from individual quirks a little bit too. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, like that's definitely an effect and an impact of it as well, but um, you know, kind of trying to draw discussion away from like, well, like, why can't you just, or like, why do you always, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And more just like, oh, like we have these patterns and these assumptions, um, and they're very deeply ingrained. Uh, yeah. And you can kind of talk about them and and find ways to address them um, outside of in the moment. So like common examples include, you know, sort of a classic, uh, what where do you want to go eat tonight? Like, oh, wherever is okay. I'm like, okay, how about here? Like, oh, no, not actually, you know? Yeah, um,
0: common struggle. Like my
1: husband and I are on opposite sides of this. And even though we've been together for a pretty long time now, like there are always additional aspects that come up there, I'm like, oh, I completely did not hear that message that he was telling me.
0: <laughs> and did you um, always like doing talks and like public presentations or is it um, like an acquired skill?
1: Yeah, definitely acquired. Um, I, I, I was never like into, I feel like in my head, the, the people who are like really into that are people who do theater or or plays or something like that. So I've never felt like that. And even even for my wedding, when I was planning it, I kept talking to my friends of like, oh, I, like it like feels really uncomfortable to like be the so called center of attention. Like <laughs> I don't know that I like want that or like that. Um, but I got into it because I was sort of thinking about professional development and and skills in the workplace, and took some public speaking courses that were offered. Um, at my employer at the time. was uh, This was at Google before I was at New Relic. Okay. Uh, and the way I thought about it was sort of like, well, in terms of skills that you can develop that help you at work, like public speaking is one where very few people enjoy it. Um, and therefore they don't really spend time trying to improve it. And so it seems like the kind of skill like where it's like really often used and really generally applicable and no one's ever going to be like, Oh, you're too good at public speaking. <laughs> oh no. Right. Like, that's yeah, not, not going to happen. happen. Like, no. you, <laughs> yeah. You use it so often. Um, and so, especially when I became an engineer, um, New Relic was my first engineering job. I was not an engineer at Google. Um, oh, okay. so when I became an engineer and sort of was thinking more about like advice that people give for, for that and like, Oh, you like, giving conference talks is a way to be involved in and give back to the community. Mm -hmm. I was sort of like, well, I don't know that I'm like that great a public speaker, but I probably hate it less than most (laughs) other people. (laughs) So like this might be a relative strength or advantage that I can try to develop a little bit. And then once I got into like, there's definitely a lot of parts to it that um i've gotten a lot of benefit from and i do sincerely enjoy um but some of it is also just like giving talks is a really helpful way to not have to introduce myself at a conference (laughs) people can come talk to me later because i get like pretty shy and standoffish um and i but i i want to talk to people and and having given a talk uh it's like I don't know always about the ROI on this because it's so much work to try to prepare. Yeah, it's but, probably negative. Uh, but
0: I get your yeah. point. Like it's it's always good when people just come to you because like it's usually people come to conferences with either coworkers or friends or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to mm-hmm. just break up to just go to some like some yeah. group and just start talking yeah. with them randomly. Yeah. But if you're a speaker, they come to you, and it's like yeah, it's much yeah. much nicer.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's been good. And like, it's, um, it's allowed me to do a lot of travel that I might not have done otherwise. Um, and, uh, like I and 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 usually like where i I find topics for myself for giving talks is like especially for you know something like this ask versus guest culture I'm like mm-hmm. oh like this is an idea I'm really obsessed with and I would love to be able to have more conversations with other people about it yeah so if I can kind of bundle a bunch of my thoughts together and like put it in this particular format it's like uh, uh, it's like a really scalable way <laughs> to try to kickstart a lot of those conversations where. Uh, same thing with blog posts that I write too. Like a lot of times the the core reason I started a blog post is like, I feel like I want to have all this captured somewhere so I can send other people a link to it when it comes up. And then uh, you know they can like it can kind of be used as background information and then we can yeah. have a conversation I know, from there i
0: know exactly what you mean i have a blog yeah. post on coffee and whenever someone starts asking me like why i like coffee so much yeah. i just i direct them there like read this yeah. and then we can continue
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah 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 so there's an aspect to it where i'm like it it's even though it's like a lot of work to create content in any form written or in a talk like in some ways like it's really uh for future efficiency, hopefully. Um, but I just, I, it, it, and over the years, like it has been really rewarding to see mentions of, of talks that I gave like years ago, like eventually then pop up or um, mm-hmm. people kind of talk about how this was like a really useful idea for them. Cause that's like a huge motivation of mine um, is I sort of feel like, hey, like I like went through something or learned something and like, maybe it's useful to other people as well. And uh, when it is like, I get super, super happy about that, which is something I try to tell people as well, who are like interested in maybe getting into blogging or writing talks that aren't mm. like people feel really stuck sometimes of like, well, I don't know if I have anything that's worthwhile to say. And I always just feel like, if you have ever learned a thing in your life, <laughs> you have something to say, you have something to share, like set your sights more realistically. Cause I think a lot of the times you get into it and you sort of feel like, well, um, if you know, like people compare themselves to the best, speaker best talk or like you know kind of like the highest level like well I can't reach that so then maybe I just won't do it at all and it's like no you don't have to like aim quite that high to start like if you just set it like really reasonable achievable goals Like, like for me still when I prepare a talk I go in and I think if there is one person in this audience that's going to benefit from what I shared like that's pretty good. Like I should feel pretty good about that. Yeah, you and then, improved
0: one life and that's uh, yeah, more than Yeah, nothing. there's at least <laughs> one
1: person out there that doesn't know this yet and maybe I can make it a little bit easier for them.
0: Yeah, but I, I also understand people on the other side because it's it's always hard to begin, which is why I recommend them starting mm-hmm. at like local meetups where there's yeah, like not yeah. that many people and you can yep. train and you can like maybe start with the lightning like you did and then you evolve mm-hmm. and and
1: mm-hmm.
0: anyway I I'd love to continue this discussion but like we are pro- we're approaching the end so
1: yeah yeah it's pretty late for you too thank you for the flexibility again I
0: would I would like to finish off with a question that I uh sort of ask everyone now mm-hmm. it's like um if you would have to recommend three things to someone so this could be like either books or i don't know videos or like or articles or whatever that made like lasting impression on you or that changed your life like what would those three things be
1: mm. let me reference my own um i actually i have like a goodreads shelf of like books i recommend to people so let me reference that oh yeah that,
0: that's gonna be <laughs> this is
1: another thing where i'm like okay if i make a list and i organize ahead of time maybe that will uh okay i'm gonna do three book recommendations because okay. that's kind of what's easily um reference uh that i can reference here um the uh first one is a book by a blogger that i really enjoy her name is megan McCardle, and the book's name is uh the upside of down why failing well is the key to success um Sounds so like a this was book. a yeah yeah it's it, it isn't uh just focus on on business area like this is actually where i think i got started on a lot of the ideas around uh being more free range parenting as opposed to helicopter parenting. So again, it isn't a parenting book, but it's, it's a lot about the ideas around resilience and how like, it's just like, it's what you were saying earlier about how we actually learn a lot by having the freedom to figure things out for ourselves. And, you know, like you learn a lot from failure. Um, more than kind of having a perfectly well-designed choreographed life going forward. Yeah. Um, and I find her writing style really engaging. So that was definitely a book that, uh, I really enjoyed. Um, the next book I, uh, wanted to mention is, uh, it's a book called the black Swan, um, by Nicholas Nassim Taleb. Um, he's also like kind of a controversial, controversial figure at times. And, um, this might be something that uh, might be more of a blog post that you could read about. You know, I don't know if you necessarily need to read the whole book, but the, the core of the idea is that um, there are uh, ideas that like things that we think are not likely um, if they, if they can happen, they can have a really outsized impact of those. Um, and that kind of, We make a lot of predictions a lot of the time based on information that we have, and we have to be uh, consider the fact that like we don't know all of the information in front of us. So the reason it's called like the black swan is we always thought that swans had to be white uh, until until, we discovered
0: the black one. (laughs) Until
1: we discovered that there are swans that are black. Exactly. The other example that I enjoy is that uh, if you always predict the future based on the past, if you consider the life of a turkey in the u.s they just predict like oh every day he will get fed he will continue to get fed and then thanksgiving happens (laughs) so you know don't be that turkey yeah that's
0: very grim that's very grim
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and then the third book oh could i maybe include one other thing then actually? sure yeah. uh-huh. okay so i'm gonna f- finish talking about this third book because i just picked three books out of this list and then there's one more thing that i'll throw in at the end um so the third book i was going to talk about is a book by cal newport called uh deep warp uh he has an earlier book that's good as well called so good they can't ignore you which is about how yeah i read pursuing this one. oh yeah, yeah yeah so that one's really good right like because I yep. feel like I often get told like, oh, follow your passion. And like, I don't know, it's not that useful. Um, <laughs> like, I'm really passionate about taking a nap, but like, I'm not going to make a <laughs> career out of it, right? Um, well, maybe you but could. Deep, deep work is a follow-up book. And it's kind of about uh, how that. How to hone your focus and concentration to do the hard things that are in your field and to develop your skills there. And that is kind of what is going to really make a difference uh, in your prospects as compared to like being really responsive to your email all the time or being really Mm. on top of social media. Um, so deep work. I read that a couple of years ago, and I'm really into that as well. Okay. Um, but the last thing I wanted to just throw in real quick, since I have this opportunity, is uh, there's also a, an idea I really enjoy uh, called three languages of politics or the three axes model. Um, so this is just something I wanted to bring up because um, this has really influenced how I think about a lot of politics. Um, and, you know, this just seems like something that's pretty relevant these days um, in terms of trying to learn about uh, differences with other folks and things. Um, and the idea is that uh, it, it's maybe more relevant towards American politics, but maybe it could be applicable elsewhere as well. Um, but it's a way of considering that, like, people are talking a lot about um, different values that they might hold. And as a result, uh, when you're not recognizing that you're speaking on different axes, we end up talking past each other. Uh, so in the American model, anyway, uh, the axes are, um, if you are, uh, you know, what we deem a liberal, typically the axis is you're, you're talking about, uh, people who have been oppressed and people who are oppressors. Like it's very mm-hmm. much about kind of that power balance there. Um, if you're a conservative, uh, it's often making an assumption and talking about, um, uh, civilization versus chaos of like, well, this is the way that we do things, our way of life. Like that, those are the kinds of things that would come up a lot. Um, and uh, if you're more of a libertarian, then the axis that you talk a lot on uh, would be uh, freedom versus coercion of like being forced into doing something or just like being free to um, have a lot of, you know, wh- whatever the choices may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that has like really influenced the way that I see the different arguments that people make uh, and I think is can be really helpful for understanding where other people are coming from.
0: Okay, interesting. I definitely have to read that.
1: Yeah yeah thank you for letting me like shoehorn that in uh, <laughs> and yeah
0: sure. Kind of- anyway, uh, thanks cable for for your time. I really enjoyed this conversation I had
1: yeah yeah thank you for having me
0: yeah a- anytime um, hopefully you, you will come to Slovenia like you promised in that email like five years ago yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: um, I would love to I feel uh, I, I I really want to do international travel again so we'll see and I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to bring stickers with me
0: this time <laughs> yeah okay thanks again
1: all right have a good day you
0: too bye bye all right this was my interview with KWU as you can see, Parallel Passion is a new podcast. Sharing with your friends and followings helps us a lot. One way to do so is to write a review in Apple Podcasts. Or if you use a different app, you should rate, favorite, like, or whatever your podcast app of choice supports. But if you really want to make my day, share this episode on Twitter and or Facebook. If you enjoy this show, consider supporting it with your hard-earned money via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash that's patreon.com slash p-a-r-p-a-s-p-o-d. Or open the show notes in your podcast app and follow the Patreon link there. Every dollar counts. Thank you. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at ParapassPod on all of them. All the links from this episode are in the show notes in your podcast app and on our website, parallelpassion.com 11. Thank you and have a passionate day.